Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church that's in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you'll be able to hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. And now, for a sermon from our lead pastor, Derek Ross. Amen. Well, good morning. Great. I'm glad Elisa got the Sunday off from the worship team since she's also on the video. It'd have been a little bit more weird if she's like leading a song and then she's like, hi, I'm Elisa. We're like, we know you just led the last song. But anyway, thanks Elisa for your ministry and the guy next to you as well. Hey, Clifton. Good to see you, man. All right. Well, uh, my name is Derek, and I'm the lead pastor here. And it is a busy weekend. A lot of things happening. As Pastor Dan mentioned, today is Pastor Lewis's birthday. He's 34, which, um, yeah, I, I've been praying for him because year 33 wasn't um, a highlight necessarily for Jesus. So I was like, you know, let it no death for Lewis this year. But anyway, it's going to be a great year and I uh, made it through and that's going to be awesome. It's a uh, cabin season weekend for some, not you. That's why you're here. Thanks for being here. Otherwise, I mean, I was going to be here either way because we don't have a cabin, but uh, it's great to have you here. Memorial Day weekend. Hopefully you get a hot dog tomorrow, but uh, you could take time as a family to remember why you have that day off from work, those who paid the ultimate price. So just a lot happening. It's Pentecost Sunday and um, a big deal for us is followers of Jesus, uh, spirit-filled believers. We don't just have to wait for one Sunday every year. Every day could be Pentecost Sunday for us. We're, we're filled and refilled. Amen for the glory of God. Yesterday, Pastor Vicente's youngest son, Brendan, got married. And... Uh, <laughs> And I think there was a deliverance in a different room in the building. So there's just a lot happening this weekend. Maybe we'll start to spread it out a little bit next year, but it's going to be awesome. Uh, as mentioned, it's kind of our eighth anniversary weekend. We might push it back May 31st uh, in the year to come. But if you've been around here for a little bit, you'll know that um, my wife gets to pick out her own birthday gifts because she doesn't want to be disappointed anymore, <laughs> specifically with the gifts, not her marriage. Thank you very much. But so... Um, some of you will get that later. That's awesome. But ever since she started picking out her own gifts, she's loved every one of them. So we've just decided since it was our anniversary service, we would pick out our own gift for ourselves because I'm going to enjoy the day whether you do or not. Praise the Lord. So I asked one of my friends to come and share. Uh, he's one of our national leaders, serves on the executive presbytery, uh, our national board of the Assemblies of God that my dad is on, and uh, Dr. Melissa Alfaro. So that'll be three executive presbyters preaching here at Celebration. That's 15% of our national leaders. I got to be winning in 2023 for that, Dr. Darnell. I'll get to be with you in a week in Springfield. But uh, it's a joy to have one of my friends also his wife was able to come. So Charlene, would you stand? Let's give a great big God bless you to her here today. Amen. And uh, we're so honored that you would come with him. And uh, Dr. Darnell, they pastored together almost three decades in Ohio. So they've been senior pastors, great church there, great ministry. As I mentioned, they've been honored nationally by being elected um, by thousands of pastors across our fellowship to serve on that national board. We call that the Executive Presbytery. Recently, uh, they felt the call of the Lord to come here, moved to Minneapolis, and he now serves in the pastoral ministries department as a professor 
at North Central University, but he's been a great friend to the Ross family for a number of years. I don't want to share the things that he'll share, but I also want you to know that he's come with a right now word for our church. Perhaps we'll close a little bit more at that and we'll be praying for one another as we leave, but it's a joy to have a friend. I've just asked him to come and share, to deposit into our church today. Would you act like you like him? He's not from the North. Ohio is kind of south from here, but anyway, not used to preaching to Lutherans. So come on, if you've been waiting for a Sunday to say amen, this is your Sunday. Come on, let's welcome Dr. Darnell Williams here today. Praise the Lord. Let's, let's show some love for your pastor, Pastor Derek and his wife, Dana. God bless you. I'm so excited to be here with you. We had such a tremendous service in the first service, and uh, I'm happy to be with you today. Um, I'm blessed uh, to have my wife with me. We are celebrating 30 years. March 20th, we've been married 30 years. Amen. Uh, this woman is a saint to put up with me for 30 years. Hallelujah. God blessed us with one son, our son, Adrian. He is a med school student. He's doing a dual MD, PhD. He goes to the Einstein University uh, Medicine in the Bronx. And so we miss him dearly, but we pray and we talk. He calls us. He's a good kid. He calls us just about every day. And then you know mothers and their sons. Do you have sons, Pastor Dana? One. Mothers and their sons. He can call me two, three days in a row, and his mother will call him. I'm upset with you. Mom, what did I do? All you're doing is calling your father. You don't call and talk to me. I just called dad two days in a row. Dad, no, I need to hear your voice every day. So that's the mother and their sons, right? Um, you know, I so appreciate, as your pastor said, the Ross family. Uh, I served with your uncle, Randall, uh, on the evangel board. And I remember being a new trustee and your uncle kind of sensing that I was trying to figure out what it meant to be in that room. And he sat me down and we had some espresso together. Uh, he's the first guy I know to drink a triple espresso. I didn't even know there was such a thing. But he, you know, I said, no, I don't want a triple. I want two. I'll do two. But I can't do three. Uh, then your dad, Rick Ross, on the executive presbytery, which is just, he, your father's just esteemed as a one of the well-known national leaders. He has a very influential voice uh, on that executive presbytery. So what a blessing it is to be here with you today. Amen. Uh, my wife and I were driving here and we stopped at the furniture store next door. So, and we said, man, that's a nice looking church. And then I put two and two together and said, that's Derek Ross's church. I know him. And uh, so to be here is such a blessing. Uh, I want to acknowledge my colleague, my friend, my brother, uh, Pastor Professor Jeff Dale. God bless you, my friend. It's good to see you. Amen. We, we hammering it out together in North Central. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Go Rams. And, uh, and then uh, lastly, I, I want to acknowledge just some friends, mentors, uh, I could keep going on and on, but to Ray and Carolyn Tennant, God bless you. You know Charlene and I love you guys so much. 
We had a fun day together. Well, about a month ago, we went and had afternoon tea at the St. Paul Hotel. It was so much fun. We had such a good time, yeah. Uh, so when my son was smaller, he played a game with me. And he took his Bible out and he said, Dad, he turned to the table of contents. He said, give me a message you preach on Galatians. Okay. Give me a message you preach on Philippians. Give me a message you preach on Esther. And he closed his Bible and said, Dad, I guess you could preach anywhere in the Bible. And he was amazed. But really, when you know the words, you understand the narrative of Scripture, you understand the stories of Scripture, he's right. You can preach anywhere. My wife and I served as pastors for 28 years. God helped us. We did everything pastors could do. We built a new church, had a local television program, radio ministry, ran a soup kitchen, food pantry, serving 25,000 meals a year. God just helped us do everything within our hearts that we wanted to. We got to really flex our pastoral muscles. And I'll tell you some of the story in my message today about how God got us here. But one of the things as a pastor I would always say to people that I would bring is I don't just need you to preach a message because I'm a preacher. If I'm just trying to fill the pulpit, I got staff members that could do that. I could do that. You know, I got enough faith. I can bring a donkey up here and, you know, just set the mic in front of him, see what'll happen. Amen. I'm inviting you because I want you to tap into the gifts, the talents, the ability. I want you to be you, and I want you to release that over our church. And so I bring that heart and spirit as I stand here before you today. That, And I can tell you with 100% certainty that the message I'm going to share with you is not something that I just rifle through files of messages uh, you know, as a local church pastor, we had two services. I preached probably 100 times a year between Bible study and Sunday mornings and all the other things. But I really feel like this message was birthed out of prayer. I shared it in the first service, and Pastor Derek came up and said, you don't understand this word God has given you. So I'm just going to obey the Lord and give you what he gave me. Amen. I feel like the FedEx man. I'm just here to drop off a package. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. I don't understand the content, but I'm just dropping off. It was addressed to you, and so I'm bringing it to you, and then you got to unpack it and figure out what to do with it. Amen? Uh, so let's go. We're going to go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. And as you turn there, I want to read a passage that is from a book that I just finished. My wife and I went on a cruise celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary. We went on a Mediterranean cruise. Touch your neighbor and tell them, thank you, Jesus. Uh, the, the, when, the, when the cruise was coming to an end, my wife said, why are you looking so sad? I said, oh, I'm not ready to leave. We, we had such a good time. And um, I read a book and... Um, these words were kind of the opening phrase of the book that I read on vacation. And I want to share them with you because I feel like it's in keeping with the message that God has given. 
And it says, your new life is going to cost you your old one. It's going to cost you your comfort zone and your sense of direction. It's going to cost you relationships and friendships. It's going to cost you being liked and understood. But at the end, it really doesn't matter. The people who were meant for you are going to meet you on the other side. And you're going to build a new comfort zone around things that actually move you forward. Instead of being liked, you're going to move into a place where you now are loved. And instead of being understood, you're going to be seen. And you're going to lose all that was built for a person that you no longer are. I want that life. How about you? And that's what we're going to talk about today. God doing some new things. God doing some new things. Uh, what I preach, I like to tell people, and I did this as a pastor, and I found it to be very effective. So at the end of the service, I'm going to make an altar call for people that are desperate for God to do something new in them. And if the message inspires you, encourages you, I want you to rise to your feet when we make the call and come and let's lift our hands together around this altar and pray and cry out to God and invite the Holy Spirit to come and invade our lives and to birth in us a new life and do some new things. How many of you would be open to that? Amen. The thing that I held in the spirit when I was praying through this opportunity, and again, Pastor Derek, thank you for opening this door. You could have had anybody stand here and preach. You are not only a national leader, but an international leader. You could have had anybody from around the world here, but you invited me here, and I'm grateful. Um, I kept hearing the word new. New, 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 new. And so I'm going to talk about new. And as I reflected on this word new, I want to tell you what I don't mean. I don't mean something pop and superficial or shallow. But our faith is all about new, isn't it? Our experience of being inaugurated into the kingdom, we call it a new birth. Our belief system is built on a part of the Bible called the New Testament. As children of God, we enter into a new covenant with him. The Bible tells us we should sing new songs to the Lord. We live with the hope of a new heaven and a new earth. The Lord gave us, he said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Right? Paul tells us that his whole theology is built around learning how to put to death the old self and allow the new self to come to life. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. 
Hebrews 10, 20 says, by the new and the living way he opened up for us through the curtain that is his flesh. So we have access to God through this new and living way. The closing chapter of the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, verse 5 says, he who sat on the throne said, I am making all things new. Our God is about doing things that are new. Amen. Now here's my reflection about the new things I believe God wants to do. Number one is that these new things have to be deeply rooted in the move of the power of the Holy Spirit. We no longer need to manufacture and build people up and hype people up. And I, I like to cook. I enjoy cooking. My wife enjoys the fact that I like to cook. And, and, and my mother, you know, once in her life ran a catering business. So I love to cook. And sometimes I guess cooking helps me feel close to her. She, she died very young at 57. And, and so cooking helps me feel close to her. And one of the things, you know, you can buy cream. And if you whip it up, it gets real voluminous. We don't need whipped up stuff anymore. We don't need just a bunch of air to expand. We need a deep-seated move of the Holy Spirit. And this move is not just to, for God to do something new in us. It's because this world and the times that we live are in need and necessary for the prophetic witness of the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, as I was kind of going through the routine of getting ready to come here to preach to you, I, I like preparing to preach by listening to preaching. And one of my favorite preachers to listen to, probably my default, number one guy to listen to, is a guy, probably, he's probably been dead now 20 years, but his name is uh, Bishop G.E. Patterson, one of the greatest preachers I think they ever, if there's preaching in heaven, G.E. Patterson, E.V. Hill, they're they going to be preaching in heaven, right? And Bishop Patterson was preaching as I listened to him this morning, and he said these words. He said, we need the Holy Ghost because the world is in a state of confusion. And I laughed, and I said, Bishop, if you could come back and see the world now. I mean, we, we, we've lost the ability to define what a woman is. I want you to think about that. My wife and I were walking through the mall, and I stopped, and I said, Come, look at this, look at this. A t-shirt that read, not all pregnant persons are women. I said, what? what? Not all pregnant persons are women. Okay, I guess. Confusion. We live in a generation like, what God says that they can't tell their left from their right. Good is being called evil. Evil is being called good. And the reason we need this work of the Spirit for the times that we live is so that we can be equipped to fulfill God's purpose. The world is not our enemy. They are our purpose. So we need God to work. So we're going to turn our attention to Isaiah 43. 
Just some little introduction about Isaiah. Isaiah is a book, if you could take and, and, and condense it down to one word, it's, it's a book of hope. Isaiah is called the eagle-eyed prophet. He is sometimes called, uh, uh, jokingly, the fifth evangelist along with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because he so clearly predicts things about the coming Messiah, about our Savior, Jesus. He has prophetic clarity and predictive accuracy. And his book is divided, 66 chapters, divided up into three sections. The first section is, it speaks about the judgment of God. God's judgment of sin, wickedness, idolatry. Clearly, God tells his people, I'm judging you for the wickedness, the sin, the evil, the idolatry that you have committed. And then Isaiah shifts into dealing with King Hezekiah and his interpersonal relationships as a prophet with the throne. And then finally, he goes into, starting at chapter 40, he moves into a space of con consolation of God's people. Here's what makes me love Isaiah. It's because even though it starts out with judgment, it ends with comfort, redemption, and restoration. As a father, I would punish my son for wrong, but then I would restore him and let him know our relationship is not based on what you have done. Is based on who we are. And so this message of comfort and redemption and restoration, our text falls in that context. When my son was small, he is an only child. But my wife used to tell him, the little boy with his backpack on, she used to tell him, you have two brothers, goodness and mercy. So my son, five, six, seven years old, yes, how many? I got it's three of us. He says, Adrian, and his goodness and mercy. <laughs> and isn't it, know that, isn't it good to know that our God is gracious, that he has extended his grace and his mercy over our lives. Amen. So Isaiah 43 presents for us this loving, caring, present, aware, engaged, and involved God with his people. I want you to hear me this morning. God is not some far-off concept. He is present and aware and engaged and involved in your life. The Lord of Isaiah 43 is intimately connected to his people like a father talking to a child. He uses the terms you and I. It's not the God of Israel and the children of Israel. It is this personal God talking to his personal people. It's reflective of relational connectivity. Notice what he says in verse 1. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Isn't it wonderful to know that the Lord knows your name? We've seen that song, he knows my name. He knows my every thought. Then in verse 2, he says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. I won't abandon you when things get tough. 
when the times get rough. When you go through the waters, you shall not be overwhelmed. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and the flame will not consume you. Again, we're presented with this intimate God who cares passionately about his people. In verse four, hear this. He says, you are precious in my eyes. I honor you and I love you. Would you just for a moment, just close your eyes and just fall back in love with your heavenly father again. Hear his words to you. You are precious. Just close your eyes right now and just hear the father speak. You are precious in my sight. Life is hard, but you're precious. You matter to me. I love you. I honor you. I'm honored to have you, to call you my son, my daughter. In verse 10, you can open your eyes now. In verse 10, he says, you are my witnesses, my servants whom I have chosen. And then we move into where I want us to focus this morning. He says, thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the warrior. They lie down and cannot wise. They are extinguished like, quenched like the wick. Now, for us, we may have to process what Isaiah said, but to the people that he was writing to, listen to me, they understood exactly what he was talking about. What is he talking about? The Lord draws them back to their experience of the Exodus. That God's statement, who makes a way in the sea, is not like our messages that come with tongues and interpretation. Okay, we hear the tongue. All right, we need somebody to interpret so that we can understand the message that just went forth. No, when he makes this statement, they clearly understand that he is talking about the God that brought them out of the exodus. They were enslaved and in bondage in Egypt. They could do nothing to set themselves free. And the Lord, through his sovereign and mighty hand, reached down, raised up Moses, and through a series of the miraculous moves of his spirit worked and set his people free. They understood it. They knew it. They knew that when he says to them, who, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the warrior, that they lie down and they cannot rise is a direct quote of when uh, Moses declared to them, the Egyptians that you see today, the enemy that you're dealing with today, you will see them no longer. They understood exactly what the Lord is speaking through Isaiah. They lie down, they cannot rise again. When they walk through the Red Sea, the waters closed and defeated the enemy. The Lord says they were extinguished like a wick. It'll put a candle out. The Lord says, that's what I did to your enemies. They understood this. They celebrated this event every year in Passover. When the youngest child sits around the table with the eldest father and the que hear the question, after the mother has set the Seder, here's the question. Why is this night unlike every other night? And they begin to rehearse their history because our fathers were slaves in Egypt. They eat bitter herbs to remind them of the bitterness of their oppression in Egypt. See, God is calling them to remember their history. And what happens with history is we can develop a nostalgia. And we can get an affinity 
and an affection for our past. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, born and bred. You got family. Your family's from Ohio. Amen. That's why I like you. We're Browns fans. Your father and I always lamenting and talking. That's the first thing. After we hug each other, like them Browns, you know, right? I'm, I'm kind of liking living in Minnesota, though, because the Vikings kind of represent themselves well every year. Amen. So I may buy me a Vikings hat eventually. I may, may bring myself to it, right? My wife and I were on these cruises. I was in Italy with a hat on, and somebody passed me and said, Cleveland Browns. I was like, yeah, that's right. Oh. But we love past, don't we? Remembering the past, reflecting on the past. The past can be very powerful. We refer to the past back in the day, old school. You remember when? Right? I was old enough to remember Edith and Archie sitting down at the piano, singing together. I started to tell them to play that clip. And they're talking about Glenn Miller. Because there was a nostalgia to them hearing the big band sounds of the 30s and 40s. Remember, Tolkien wrote and he said, history becomes legend and legend can become myth. And we can esteem our past so heavily that it can almost interfere about how we see our present reality. We, we can almost esteem the past so much that we feel like the best is behind us. To see all that God is ever going to do, we got to look back. And so the Lord says to his people, I want you to remember that I'm the God that brought you out of Egypt, that, that when you were slaves, you didn't have weapon, you didn't have seal, uh, shield, you didn't have sword. There was nothing you could do. I worked in your past and I set you free. But then in verse 18, he says these words, remember not. And on the surface, it seems contradictory. It feels inconsistent that you call to mind what was, but then you tell me, don't remember it. It almost sounds counterintuitive, but as I researched the text, I found this statement I want to share with you by Klaus Balzer, who wrote in his commentary on Isaiah, what Israel experienced in its past had to come to pass. In other words, there was a generation that God was speaking a prophetic word to who had to live through the process of him moving in their current time in the reality of what they experienced. And because their past had come to pass, God had been proven reliable. And because he had been proven reliable that the God of the Exodus did not stay at the Exodus, he is the God of the right now. Yes, he's the God of the past, the God of the old things, the wonderful things, the past things. He's the God of history, but he's also the God of destiny. And oftentimes, here's the mistake we can make as believers. We can have more 
confidence in our history than we can of certainty over our destiny. History has a way of shaping us and molding us and fashioning us to set our expectations. So the reality is Christians, and Pastor Dan spoke to us so well today. I, I almost, I, I turned to Pastor Derek. I said, who is that? I said, he meddling with my message. I don't, I don't appreciate this. We live with this grief, the silent. And we, we walk into the sanctuary and we enjoy good preaching. We hear good messages and we, we, we enjoy worship and, and we get in our cars and it's almost like the further we get away from the sanctuary, it's like we leave God behind. And so we build this kind of bandwidth, Jeff, where God works. And we kind of just settle on, this is, this is what he does, this is how he works, and this is what we do, and we kind of have this expectation, and, and you know, we just we have this routine and this structure, and we kind of, you know, flow with it. But the Lord says, don't remember the past. He says in verse 19, I am doing a new thing. I'm doing something new. I believe the heart of the Father is to move now. I believe that our best days and our brightest days are not behind us, but they are in front of us. I believe that we serve a God who can heal now. I believe we serve a God who can deliver now. I believe we serve a God who could pour out his spirit now. I believe we serve a God who can make a way out of no way now. Yes, he's the God of yesterday, but he's also the God of today and the God of tomorrow. When he works, it is new. It is not novel or pop or superficial or shallow. When God works by a sovereign move of his Holy Spirit, he works and it is new. And I believe God has new seasons and he has new areas for prayer and new moves of his spirit that he wants to do new things, innovative things, miraculous things, supernatural things, wonderful things. He wants to do some new things. Now here's the problem. There are some of us that consign ourselves to the reality of the past who say, yes, it was wonderful when I first got saved. Oh, the Lord felt so near. Oh, I remember how much I was passionate about his word. I enjoyed moments of worship. How I would get, find myself falling deep into prayer. And we have this discouragement that the distant past, the disconnected from the reality of life is where I need to find God. Our patriarch Jacob was in this place. He had lived and he'd gone through so much and lived through so much. And one day he reached a point at which the Lord says, go back to Bethel. See, I want to do something new in you. I want to do something new. This is not logic and reason and rationale. This is faith at work. 
God says, I'm doing something new. You can look back at the past as a point of reference, but it's really not going to apply to what I'm doing when right now. I had a unique moment when I was preparing this message. The Lord reminded me of a very significant moment when his spirit was at work in my life. If I had to admit to you, my wife is probably, you know, if the Lord gave out trophies of spirituality, she's probably more spiritual than me. My wife, when she prays, like God moves. Like when she prays, it's like God becomes like Santa Claus. Like he takes up on her lap. You know? I pray I got to fight devils. And the, the blood of the, the power. And, and my wife prays and she says, Father, thank you. She starts to weep and cry. and God just moves. But there was this moment. It's been about three times in my life I've had this happen. And each time it's happened, I know that God is doing something deep and significant in me that's life-changing. June of 2021, I had a moment when I felt and sensed God doing something in me. Now, we had much like what I feel and sense here at Celebration Church, that there was a moment, there's momentum of success. We had just built a brand new church. We had just gone through COVID and came out and figured out how to pastor the church through it. We survived and we were still standing on our feet and God helped us and but I felt the spirit just doing something new. And I went to the sanctuary to pray. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I'm doing something deep, meaningful, and significant in your life in this moment. And you have two choices. You know, sometimes when I hear people talk about the Lord, I just laugh because I say, you really don't know God. Like when you really start to, when the Lord really starts to talk to you, it's a holy, sacred, and almost awe-inspiring, and sometimes even scary. The Lord said, I'm doing something deep and significant in your life. He said, you got one or two choices. You decide which. I said, Lord, okay, Lord. I'm sitting there weeping as the Holy Spirit is dictating this to me. The first choice is you can be Jonah. Your second choice is you can be like Jesus. You got to make a choice. I'm doing the work. You got to choose how you're going to respond. Jonah was alive three days in the belly of the fish. Complaining, griping, belly aching, fussing. Three days. Jesus dies. Three days resurrects. You could be Jonah, or you could be like Jesus. You can either stay alive and bellyache and complain and 
and wine and grape. Or you can die. Same three days gonna pass. You're not gonna get around it. I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. You can die to it or you can live through it. But I'm telling you, if you live through it, you're gonna be miserable. But if you die to it, the next moment you awaken will be resurrected life. Jonah was vomited. Jesus was raised, raised from the dead. So I send a Facebook message to Dr. Carolyn Tennant. I don't even know if you remember this. And I said, Dr. T, the Lord is killing me. And I said, the Lord told me you can be Jonah, you can be Jesus. You got to make a choice. And Dr. Tennant has a very graceful motherly spirit on her. She said, well, buddy, I guess you have no choice but to die. She was my professor. I asked her to be my doctoral advisor when I was writing my dissertation. One day she called me. I'm talking about the motherly spirit she has. I'm using the air quote motherly. Right? She, she said, I need to talk to you. I said, what's going on? Yeah, sure. She said, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, you can talk to me. She said, okay, you, you, you ready for me to have a conversation with you? She said, yes, ma'am. She said, you need to get it in gear. You're falling behind. If you don't get it together, I'm afraid you're not going to get this project through. And I'm not going to sit and let you just be ABD. You're going to finish this. So I need you to figure out, I don't know what you need to do, but you need to figure out how to get this done. I said, yes, ma'am, I'm going to get it done. Okay, thank you for calling me. I appreciate it. I had to die. And it's funny because the next set of texts in the message that I reviewed as I was preparing to speak to you, as I went back historically and looked at this exchange between Dr. Tennant and myself, was pray for me. North Central invited me to apply for this position. And da, 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 da. I didn't realize the killing at the altar God had for me was going to birth something new. This is not games, folks. God wants to do something in our lives. He desires to do something new. Sarah felt like her life was over. Her time had passed. Her season had ended. And God showed up and does something new. And Isaac is born. Naomi suffered loss after loss after loss. Her husband dies. One son dies. Second son dies. And she loses her very confidence in God. And all of a sudden, God shows up and does something new and Obed is born. Birthing a new order in Israel. Joseph, thrown in the prison, sold to Potiphar. Thrown in a pit, sold to Potiphar, sent to prison. And God does something new and he gets promoted to become prime minister. Mordecai averts an assassination attempt against the king's life. 
that goes unrecognized and unrewarded. And one night the sleepless king has the chronicle read and realizes Mordecai was not rewarded for the good that he was done. And God did something new. So then Mordecai wore the king's robe and rode the king's stallion and had the king's herald pronounced, this is the man whom the king honors. God wants to do something new. How many of you want God to move in your life and do something new? Listen, today's miracles, today's miracle will become part of our storied past. Worship team, would you come? September of 2020, my wife and I, in the midst of COVID, got a call no parent wants to get. Our son was hospitalized, 20 years old at the time. And he went to school about an hour and 15 minutes from us in Dayton, Ohio. We lived in Lyme, Ohio. And so we jumped in the car and ran down to the hospital. And when we got there, we walked in to see our 20-year-old son surrounded by doctors. And we walk in while they're having a conversation and saying to each other, we can't understand how a 20-year-old's kidneys shut down. Our son went into total renal failure, 20 years old. And we sat there and we didn't know what to think or what to do. And it was the most despondent moment of my life because there's nothing like being a parent and watching a child be sick. And I'm not talking about sick with a cold. They're talking about he may have to have a life on dialysis. And my wife and I began to say, God, we need you to work. We need you to move. We need a sovereign touch of your spirit upon our son. And day after day, we were there and nothing was happening but bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. His blood pressure sometimes would skyrocket to 201 over 149, 168, just out of control because I didn't know that the kidney helps control and regulate the blood pressure. And when we began to ask people to pray for us, God began to work. And one day I remember telling him, Father, if there was a price to pay, I'd pay it. If there was someone to talk to, I would find a way to get to him. There's nobody I can talk to. Nobody can turn this situation around. I need you to work. And beloved, my son was in the hospital for 12 days. He had five dialysis treatments while he was there. But when he was discharged, his kidneys jumped back. He had an annual report after that. His kidneys were operating at 111%. I didn't need the God who saved the 16-year-old boy in Cleveland. I needed the God right now. Can we stand together? And as we sing this song, you are here and you're moving in our midst. I want to know this morning, are you ready for something new from the Lord? I'm not talking about goofy, whipped up, manufactured, humanistic, uh, 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 born from hype. 
I'm talking about a real powerful move of God's Spirit where He can save and deliver and transform. He is still opening blind eyes. He's still helping David kill Goliath. He's still delivering the three Hebrew boys. He's still opening doors and still making waves. And can I even boldly say that part of our Pentecostal heritage is the promise of Joel that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You are never too old for God to use you. You're never too young for God to use you. He can use you whether you're male or female. He can use black and he can use white. He can use the young and the elderly. He said, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. We live in a world that's dying and they need life. They need a prophetic witness and it's going to come through those who are saying, I want to see you move. We need a move of the Spirit of God. If you're ready to cry out to God and ask Him for some new things, would you come and let's pray together. If you're ready for a fresh move, if you're ready for a fresh touch, if you're ready for new words to be released, new prayers to be answered, new callings in the ministry, new impacts into the community. He is a God of the new. He wants to work. He wants to move. He wants to prove himself. He wants to show up in your circumstance and in your situation. Listen, time cannot hinder what God desires to do in your life. Some of you are saying, my best days are behind me. I come to call the devil a liar this morning and to declare to you that your best day, your brightest day is ahead of you. We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or for the 10th time, please reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week.